Let's open the scriptures again to... Um, everything's not going too well today, is it? All over the place. Let's look at Titus. Um, sorry, uh, not Titus, Philemon. It's um, just after Titus. Between Titus and, and, and the book of Hebrews. And uh, what we are actually doing is looking at um, some snapshots in the New Testament. We are looking at four of the one-chapter books in the New Testament. And we started last time uh, with Philemon. That was three weeks back when we began this series. And what it did was I introduced to you the main characters uh, in this letter to Philemon. And we looked at the fact that this is one of the most graphic stories in the Bible of what forgiveness and reconciliation and acceptance really looks like among God's people. And as I uh, looked at the first seven verses, I used a little bit of sanctified imagination to fill in a few gaps surrounding the main players in this historical real-life happening because there kind of are some gaps and I believe the Spirit of God would have us kind of think, okay, well, how did this come about? And, and uh, there are many ways some of these things could have happened, but we're given the main, the main frame in this story and, um, and so I used some of that imagination. And what I also endeavoured to do was to put your feet into Philemon's shoes because this well-to-do and respected brother in the Colossi assembly which met in his house, which means that he obviously had a big house, which also means, it doesn't say, that he must have been fairly well-to-do because only fairly well-off people had big houses. And um, so we can kind of use our imagination that way. And so I put your feet in his shoes as he is one of the key players or the key player that I believe that is left on record for us to emulate apart from the Lord himself, of course, who in this story is definitely behind the scenes and working and orchestrating things. But anyway, Philemon is about to have, can I say, one of those stunned mullet moments or we could say here like a rabbit caught in the headlights. We're familiar with those kind of expressions here in Oz. He's about to have one of those because he's going to be confronted with his former rebel runaway slave, Onesimus. And this guy, Onesimus, has become a believer in Jesus Christ under Paul's ministry back in Rome. And Paul was in, in prison, remember. That's his first imprisonment. You can call it house arrest because he had a certain amount of liberty. And Onesimus, in some way or other, came into contact with Paul and he was converted. So to set the scene for today, let me allow, allow me please to creatively fill in a few more gaps as to how this meeting could possibly have gone down. I can imagine Philemon laxing on his rooftop of his large house. Middle Eastern houses always had flat roofs, they still do, so you can go up there and enjoy the cool of the evening. 
And there he was looking out over the landscape, sipping a cool drink at the end of the day. Then in the distance he catches a glimpse of someone walking towards his property. Any landowner, house owner would take notice of that. And so out of curiosity he watches slowly this approaching figure. Then as the unknown gets closer, Philemon notices something familiar about this person. Perhaps it was his walking style. Perhaps it was his slouch or the way he carried himself. It was something. And then anyway, it went about a stone's throw away. All was revealed to Philemon as to the identity of this lone walker slowly but surely approaching his house. It was his runaway slave, Onesimus. This was his slave that not only ran away, but also ripped them off, and he could well have busted open his safe and stolen much of his savings. We don't know, but it seems to indicate that he stole something for good measure when he escaped Philemon. Philemon, the successful businessman, was on full alert now. You can imagine that, right? Full alert. And so he descends the stairway two at a time and he yells to his wife, Aphia, you will not believe who is walking up our driveway. I have never seen such gall and audacity in all my life. And he quickly reaches the front door and he yanks it open with Aphia standing at his side. And there is Onesimus standing in front of him, not saying a word, but with his head bowed low and his hand holding out a small parchment. Onesimus' submissive posture spoke a thousand words in that instant to Philemon. So rather than rip into this rebel once slave and to immediately deal out a worthy sentence for this runaway, he pauses and takes the scroll from his hand. Then with his wife leaning over his shoulder, they both read the manuscript. Why, it's from Paul, it's from Brother Paul, they both exclaim when seeing his name at the top of the parchment. I wonder what he has to say and why this parchment has come via this rebel thief who I own as a slave. Verse 1. We'll read from the top and go to the bottom of this parchment. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. 
For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will." For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will repay. If not to mention to you that you owe me even your own life as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, prepare a lodging for me. For I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. This morning we will look at these remaining verses to Paul's letter to Philemon under three headings. And the first heading will be authority of love in forgiving others. In the first seven verses, which we dealt with last time, we saw that Paul did not appeal to a law or to any other principle that would direct Philemon to forgive his former slave. He appeals to God's love that Paul knew Philemon and all believers have. I wonder if we know that. Paul knew from prior association with Philemon that Philemon was a godly man. A man who had all the Christ-like characteristics to forgive this once rebel slave. Paul knew that. So Paul in these opening verses, in the opening verses commends and he sweetly persuades, can I say, Philemon by saying, I know how much you love all of God's children. He says that in verse 5. So Paul knew this man's heart. And now Philemon is standing in front of the door, skipping through this letter. It may well have been on his mind that I need to serve out some worthy punishment on this Onesimus. After all, he's committed a crime, this guy. You know? You do the crime, you, you do the time, right? He'd done 
Philemon, a grave injustice. And on top of that, the law was on his side. The law was protecting him. And he could meter out any kind of justice he saw fit. That's how it went down in those days. With a slave, between a slave and his master. So Onesimus deserved justice. But I can imagine again, allow me this, Aphia may also have been intently reading that letter. And being like many women who are so perceptive and pay so much more attention to detail than men do, she knew what was going on in her husband's mind. She said, Philemon, you dare not skip over the last and most important part of this letter. Don't you see what Paul is requesting here? He's requesting you to forgive and accept Nesimus as a brother in the Lord as he has become one with us in Jesus Christ. That brings up Philemon with a jolt. You see, this puts the ball in his court. So he better read this letter from Paul more carefully. And he first notices how Paul begins his appeal in verse 8 where we've begun our message today. He reminds Philemon that he could have and he had every right to pull rank and order him to receive Onesimus back as a Christian brother. He had every right to do that. Why? Because he was an apostle. But he chose to approach him as a friend, not as a boss. And folks, this is a footnote here. This is a footnote. It's, it's worthy of noting. When someone becomes a Christian, when someone becomes a true believer, apostolic authority compels us, or it should. What I mean by that is that when we become a Christian, there is an inner willingness that is d- divinely implanted in us that submits and yields to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. That's what Jesus says, those who love me, obey me. And so how does this go down? Jesus Christ speaks through the apostles. We have the apostles' doctrine and the word of God. The foundation, the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. And God chose these men to fully commit themselves to writing his word as we have today in our Bibles. And we have a classic example of that explained in Second Peter 1, 20-21. Men just didn't write what they wanted to write. They wrote down as the Holy Spirit of God directed them to. And here, Paul as an apostle could have rightly compelled Philemon's obedience with the authority as an apostle, the authority of divine revelation. He could have. And folks, when apostolic commands are given, the Christian needs to bow in submission and rise in obedience to that command, right? We dare not mess with God's word. But Paul does not use his apostolic authority here, does he? That's why this is a very personal letter. He approaches Philemon and says, Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, you notice that? Yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. For love's sake, I appeal. There is no use of the apostolic command here. Paul knew of Philemon's capacity to love. He knew about that. He was personally involved in that, in Philemon's life. 
Paul knew that he had a capacity to love, that he had, he had a reputation to love the Lord and to love all the saints, as we have mentioned in verse 5. And so Paul rather appeals, rather than appealing or using his apostolic authority, he appeals on the basis of Christ's love in Philemon that was already evident. A divine love already were at work in Philemon to do what is proper, to do the right thing. That's what he appeals to. He had no, no need to use his apostolic authority because the work, this divine love that was going on already in Philemon's life, the work that Christ had begun in Philemon was now the pull on Philemon's conscience to willingly submit to who? To submit to God's Spirit within him. You know, folks, we all have that love implanted in us. Sad to say, some of us don't show it too much. Some of us kind of have, or can get easy, seared consciences about that love. Turn to Romans chapter 5, because this really puts it out there plain and tells you what has taken place to everyone who's believed it was a true believer. Let me read that for you. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. This talks about when a person comes to faith, when he's converted, he's born again. And it says, the writer, the Paul says here to the Romans, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And now listen to this. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So every genuine believer has the same divine love implanted to them, into them, into their hearts, into their spirit by the Spirit of God when they were saved. And that's what Paul appeals to here with Philemon. Yet despite Philemon's love reputation and his godly character, Paul knew that this was going to be humanly difficult for him to do. He knew that. And this happens, right? It is difficult to love people who have hurt us and offended us and, and done us wrong, right? It's easy to give them a flick and say, oh, just walk away. I don't want to have anything more to do with you. It happens. It's always a battle when our, our humanness pits itself against the, the Holy Spirit within. The Apostle Paul knew this himself. He speaks all about that in Romans chapter 7 about the right and the wrong, and when he wants to do what's right, he does wrong, etc. And there's a, there's, a, there's a battle going on within. So here was Philemon rereading this letter, and no doubt with Onesimus standing right there in front of him, a slave who had caused him so much grief and trouble and cost. And yet here was Paul, his beloved friend, his, the mentor, his, the apostle, the evangelist, who had won him to Christ, appealing to him to forgive and accept Without doubt, Philemon's emotions were all over the place that day. They would have been running from anger and hostility toward Onesimus. After all, who wouldn't, right? 
even though he had the audacity to come back, who wouldn't bring up all those things this useless slave had done and, and, and escape from him, and not only that, stolen whatever he, he could take. So he would have had anger, but also there would have been love and loyalty to God. He never lost his love for God. And running right there as he's reading this letter, there must and would have been deep, deep affection for the Apostle Paul. The tension there in Philemon's heart and soul and mind would have been great on this occasion. That's why Paul adds a little bit more to his appeal to settle his feelings. He doesn't stop, you see. He strikes while the iron's hot. And he kind of stimulates Philemon's heart of love with further reasons why he should submit to his appeal. And he says, Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, verse 9. Ah, oh, wow. Paul goes all out in his appeal to get Philemon's mind off himself and off Onesimus here. That's true, isn't it? When things go bad, we tend to become all self-focused. And we get so focused on the situation going down that we lose sight of everything that's right and everything that's proper and how we should love. And our emotions take over. And so Paul reminds Philemon here of who Paul was. He wants Philemon to consider all that he, the apostle, had done for him and that now he's in prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This would have pulled Philemon up with a jolt again, or it should have. You see, if that persuading reminder of how much Paul deserved his listening ear and obedient heart, if that did not get his emotions in check, nothing would, I don't think. So on the basis of love, the Apostle Paul makes his appeal. And let me say this, it's the same Christ-like love within each one of us that needs to be our authority, our motive to accept and forgive others. And the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God within us and as that love that's being part of us is fed and nurtured by the Word of God, it will flow, folks. It will flow if we allow it and submit to it. Then we see a second point. Acceptance and restoration are the fruit of true forgiveness. We see this in verses 10 to 18. You know, it's a sad and sorry state when a believer says they forgive someone and fail to follow through with full acceptance and reconciliation. You come across that? Words are easy. Words are so easy. But to follow through with behavior and conduct is something else. We often can be so keen to say, I forgive you, those words, and still harbor resentment and put people in the too hard basket. We can often do that. Said, oh, I just won't have anything to do with them again. Oh, I just make sure that I don't come into their face. And we'll leave it like that. That's not right, brothers and sisters. That's not right. That's not allowing God's love to rule. Well, with this mind now, his mind now fully alert and emotions and of hostility and anger and resentment and everything else all under control, Philemon here comes to the first bit of good news. You see, Onesimus, he finds out, has been in Rome. That's a long way away from Colossae. 
And we talked about that last week. That's probably a good idea for a runaway slave to go as far away as he can out of the clutches and contacts of his master, but also in Rome there was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of slaves and he could get lost in the crowd. So he finds out he'd been in Rome with Paul and he'd become a Christian. The once rebel has now become a saint. And this must have been true because otherwise Anisimus certainly wouldn't have been standing there, right? The world would call this guy a fool for going back. He had his freedom in Rome. He had his freedom. He could could kind of do what he wanted, go where he wanted. He He could live it up, as it were. Carry on his trade of nicking a few dollars here and there like he had well known in the past. The world would call this guy a fool, but no, no. Upon his conversion, he obviously must have confronted Paul and, and said, Paul, I've got something to tell you. I'm a believer. I know I'm saved and I'm in Christ, but there's something that's weighing heavy on my mind. I'm a runaway slave and I stole from my master. Who was your master? Philemon. Philemon! Unbelievable, Paul would have said. I know that guy from years back. He, he was saved under my ministry. You, you come from Colossae and you were the slave of Philemon. This is amazing. So with that, he writes this letter. Of course, it must be true that Onesimus come was genuinely saved because he wouldn't have been standing there, Right? You see, Onesimus' repentance towards God is shown in his, his change of behavior. His actions proved his faith in Jesus Christ was the real deal and genuine. You don't see too much that these days, sad to say. People think that they can become a Christian and then just carry on living like they were before. The Bible never speaks of that. There's always change. Genuine repentance always brings... That's what repentance means. It means not only a change of mind, it means a a complete turnaround, a change of worldviews, a change of thinking, a a change of of goals and and loves and desires. It'll certainly mean a change of people who you mix with. And here's all in this He goes right back to where he first went wrong. This is amazing. You see, just as Paul led me to Christ years ago, Philemon would have been thinking. He's done the same with Onesimus. And even he calls, he calls him here, my son or my child. We see that in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. Verse 10 and 11. I love how Paul manages to have an extra dig at Philemon with a play on words here. And that's what he does. Paul says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to you and me. The name Onesimus was a common slave name, by the way. And you know what that slave name meant? Onesimus? Useful. How do you like to be called useful? Well, that's what his name. Hey, useful, come here. No doubt there was a few times, I guarantee, when um, Onesimus escaped. He wasn't called useful, he would have been called useless. Well, that's what Paul kind of plays on the word here. See, and um, Paul is saying, useful was formerly useless, but now he is useful. That's what he says here. He plays on these words. He was now a different man, as Paul had well proved, and Philemon was yet to learn. 
Now comes some more news, good news that Philemon needed to take in. Anisimus had proven to be faithful and so useful to the apostle that the apostle Paul felt like he was sending back his own heart with Anisimus. It was the Paul's feelings for Anisimus were such that his heartstrings were torn immensely to see his beloved son in the faith go back and to leave him. Remember, he became Paul's gopher. You need gophers, right? Fetch this, fetch that, get this, get that. That's what useful was to Paul. And being under house arrest, you had some restrictions. And so he was allowed this guy to do these things. And so you can understand the apostle Paul was going to really, really miss him. Then Paul adds a nice touch, one certain to reach Philemon's heart. Paul held Philemon in such high respect and regard that he appealed to his heart for love, or his heart of love, both for himself and ultimately for God. He says in verse 14, But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Isn't that wonderful? None of us really like to be ordered and told and, and ordered around and told what to do. Over the years in um, my secular vacation, I had, I had numbers of men working for me and, and a useful guy was one who always used initiative and willingly could see that a job needed to be done and he would do it himself. He didn't have to have me or my brother saying, hey, do this, do that, do this. It's really, really good, even on a secular sense, when you, your guy willingly does something. Well, here, Apostle Paul wanted Philemon to willingly take this man back and not by compulsion. You see, Paul wanted Philemon to move on his own, own volition to freely and willingly do good, to welcome Onesimus back. Then there is a wonderful and timely statement about God's providence. I love this too. This is what he says in verse 15. This is what Paul says. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. What Paul is suggesting here is that God was behind the scenes in all this so that Anisimus would find Paul in Rome and be led to Christ and then sent back to Philemon. But not as a slave, as a Christian brother. Wow. Wow. Now Philemon's heart was really being persuaded big time with this. After all, if God's purposes are being carried out even amongst the dodgy lifestyle choices in Onesimus' past, if he is working behind the scenes on all this, I dare not go against God. You know, it was a bit like we read this morning, or Jordan was reminding us, the old apostle Peter, he pulls out his sword, and just as well he was a very poor swordsman, because he only hit the guy's ear and whacked it off. Jesus said, hey, put that away. I'm here to carry out the purposes of God. See, amongst all the dodgy circumstances, God has a purpose and a will, and he providentially arranges scenes and circumstances to bring about that. And this is what Paul is saying here. So surely Paul's appeal to accept this once runaway slave, now a beloved brother, Philemon would have seen, this is what I need to do. 
If Nisimus was now a beloved brother to Paul since his conversion, how much more should this man be accepted and be loved by me? He sure should. So Paul was saying, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Verse 15 and 16. I used to have a man working for us many years ago. And he was a worldly man, a man of the world. And um, great worker, good guy to have on the job. Years later, he had moved on, we'd moved on. It came to my attention. And actually, he came and visited me one day. He says, oh, I just want to tell you, Jeff, that I've become a Christian. Never had I before, but I put my arms in that guy and loved them as a brother. It was so much, there was something far more than there ever had been. And this is what was happening with Philemon and Anismus. But Paul's not quite finished his appeal yet. Uh, There is one more personal touch here. He says, so if you consider me a partner, Paul says, welcome him as you would welcome me. Verse 17. Now this is a big call here, right? Welcome this once rebel slave. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, Philemon could well have been thinking, but what about the stolen property? What about the financial loss I incurred? Surely there needs to be some justice, some consequences for that, surely. Well, Paul answers Philemon's possible query in verse 19. He says, by the way, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. See the love flowing here? You see, it was obvious that Paul, to Paul, to, to Paul that, that, that Onesimus, he didn't have anything to pay him back. He had squandered everything that he had sold him from, from, um, his, uh, from Philemon. It's a bit like the prodigal son, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. I can imagine that. He would have gone back and, and it would have been gone in a very short while. And he had nothing to give back. Philemon, his former master, he had nothing to offer. So Paul deals with this possible debt, any possible debt that was. He says to Philemon, Philemon, I want you to chalk up what he owes you. Chalk it up to my account. I will pay anything that he owes you. I will pay his debt. And so what Paul does, he bridges the gap. He bridges, he stands in the breach. He's in the reconciliation business here, which all believers should be, right? if we can, and when opportunity arises. You see, Philemon would not have been wrong in demanding restitution. Would not have been wrong in doing that, but how much more gracious if Philemon forgave the debt altogether. Folks, Paul's uh, willingness to pay the debt that Onesimus owed to restore his relationship with Philemon is a wonderful picture of Christ's work for us. In our case, it was God who was offended. We offended him through our sin and our rebellion. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And in our lifetime, we, we proved our sin because we rebelled against him. 
and sinned against him. And it is a believer like Onesimus, with nothing to offer an offended master, bankrupt and broken and desperately needing reconciliation. That's who we were. And it was Jesus, our Lord, not the Apostle Paul, who willingly paid the price that justice demanded against our sin and reconciled us to God forever. Beautiful picture. Jesus himself stood in the breach and paid the debt that justice demanded. May we understand, folks, that we are never more like God than when we forgive. You know that? And never are we more like Jesus Christ than when we willingly suffer a cost so that people can be reconciled. I wonder if we've ever been in that situation. You've been willing to pay the price to cover the cost in some way or other so that two people, two believers, can be reconciled. Well, we're not told, but without doubt, we can be sure that Philemon freely forgave Onesimus and, and charged Paul nothing. Why? Because he would have been, no doubt, dwelling on Christ's eternal forgiveness of him. The message is plain for Philemon and every saint of God, even, even us here today. Philemon will understand that as Onesimus experienced the same grace of God that he did when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, that he should forgive and receive Onesimus as a brother in Christ and not be angry with him, even though he may have good grounds for it. But next, Paul passes on some more powerful personal insights that would have motivated Philemon to forgive and accept Onesimus. And this is the last section. Paul in verse 19 reminds Philemon of the personal touch behind his plea and that he was writing it with his own hand. In other words, Philemon, this is just not some business letter that I got my secretary to scribble out and me putting my signature on the bottom. No, no, no. This is my own personal writing and I've gone to the trouble to do this and I really mean what I say, I will repay you. That was the real deal. I write this with my own hand. So Paul, in effect, writes a personal promissory note here. He writes an IOU to Philemon, if necessary. But I really love this. Paul digs deeper. He doesn't stop. He's, he's like a dog with a bone as he is guided by the Spirit of God to write this letter. He digs deeper, and, and he takes this whole thing to a higher plane. And in parentheses, he says, oh, by the way, remember, Philemon, just, just gather your thoughts here, by the way. Remember that you owe me even your own self as well. Oh, wow. What a sweet, powerful persuasion that Paul under the guiding of the Spirit of God, was able to use. In other words, he reminds Philemon that, that he is indebted to the apostle, for it was through him that Philemon had been converted. And so the sweet persuasion of the Holy Spirit was going down like this. Onesimus, 
may owe you a temporary and material gift. He may owe you that. But Philemon, you owe me an even greater debt, one that has spiritual and eternal value. That's what he's saying. You see, folks, Paul had led Philemon to faith in Jesus Christ. Philemon owed his spiritual life to Paul. And as we know, no amount of earthly goods could ever repay that. He was in debt to Paul. Now that's got to be one personal and powerful motive to forgive and reconcile, right? And might I say, this is a principle that applies to every believer and all of us here today who know know the Lord. I often look back over my life and am reminded of the many, many people I am indebted to, to those whom God has used to benefit me spiritually. I always just bow my head in gratitude and thankfulness. I am indeedly indebted to my parents. Some of you can't be because they weren't believers, but I am. And I was raised up in this home where my mother and father, they loved the Lord. And so I'm deeply indebted to how they brought me up and taught me in the scriptures. I'm deeply indebted to my wife who has encouraged me and strengthened me and prayed with me and read the scriptures with me and pulled me up when I needed to be pulled up. I'm deeply indebted to many of my mentors over the years, my elders, my Bible college professors, to so many people over the years who have in so many different ways faithfully ministered and encouraged me. I'm indebted to them. And you know what? I can never pay them back. No amount of money on earth will ever pay them back. And neither can you. Neither can you. We owe so many debts which we cannot pay to people who have freely given us so much beneficial spiritual blessing. We need to take time to thank God for that. And we need to respond to the Lord in that by being a blessing to others. That's what Philemon was being called to do. This is why we should be super quick at forgiving and accepting others who may have hurt and offended us and even owe us. Why? Because we are also indebted to those who have spiritually blessed us and we cannot pay that debt back. Just like we cannot pay the debt back that Jesus paid for us at the cross. We died and paid the price demanded for our sin. We cannot pay that back. But we can live out of response of that, can't we? Out of that heart of love that we have now, we can love God. How do we love God? By loving one another for a start. 